Let's pray. Oh God, the simplest gift of all. Turns out it's the greatest gift of all. And for it, we humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So is it okay with you if we kind of cut to the chase right now? Come on, let's go. When you're talking about the entity called the church, there are three options. Option number one, I wouldn't take it. Option number two, it's a mistake. Option number three, I'm putting my money on that one. Let me share what these three options are. Option number one goes like this. You know what? The church is in such a mess these days. I'm quitting. I'm out of here. Adios. Arrivederci. Sayonara. Gone. That, that, that is an option. But in my humble opinion, it is both illogical and misguided. Let me tell you why. Because anybody going to church believes in this book. And this book says that God, this is a direct quote, Acts 20, 28, that God purchased the church with his own blood. Come on. He's huge on the church. You want to bail out on it? You want to walk away? Of course you may. That's your option. One of the most touching moments, in my humble opinion, again, in the life of Jesus, bar none, Four Gospels is that day, maybe it was an afternoon when, when, when Jesus, who by the way knows how to count, and he can tell that the crowd count is getting lower and lower and lower as his teaching grows stronger and stronger and stronger. He knows what's up. And in a poignant moment, he turns to his closest friends and he says, Hey, guys, are you wanting to leave too? Silence. Nobody speaks. But then Peter, God bless Peter. Peter speaks up. Lord, to whom shall we go? Who has the words of eternal life? We have nowhere else to go. Why would we leave you? You're our last great hope. There are hearts today who say the same. I know we're in a storm right now, and I know that this is choppy weather, but I'm not jumping ship. That's option number one, jump ship. Option number two goes like this. When it comes to the church, rather than leaving it, we settle into it. Oh, but with a cultural tie, so to speak. We stay in the church. I mean, this is the church. This is the church. Our parents grew up in. This is the church. Our grandparents grew up in. We grew up in it. Why would I leave this church? I mean, please. What would people think if I left the church? This is where all my friends are. Do you know what? There are millions of Jews, Protestants, and Catholics who have used that flimsy argument for remaining with their religion. You can make that option. It's your choice. No intellectual commitment, no financial support, not even an existential bond with the church, some little mystical tie that binds me to its tenets and its practices. No, we stay, but we stay physically. We do not stay mentally. We do not stay spiritually. But how honest is that sort of two-timing business? I mean, come on, why don't you just go for option number one and drop the charades? Now, I'm not recommending option number one or option number two. I'd like to challenge you with option number three. You say, come on, Dwight, what's option three? What if we opted to engage in brutally honest soul-searching and submit ourselves to the possibility that the problem isn't with the church, 
The problem is with me and you. What if we said, all right, I want to be honest, play no games with my mind. Could it be that the church I belong to, could it be it turns out I'm the one needing spiritual reformation, spiritual transformation? Option number three. I'd like to challenge you to embrace it with me. I mean, what do you say we go for it? Let's just try it. Let's see how it works. Well, here's how it works. The moment you say yes to option number three, brutal soul searching, in that very instant, an ancient letter long, long ago will suddenly be in our faces (laughs) because you can't duck this letter. You can't get away from it. And besides, why would you even try? It's the last letter. It's the last letter of the Bible. It's the last letter of the apocalypse. It's, it's the last word. As scholars say, seven generations of history, seven epochs of history, seven chapters from the cross of Christ to the coming of Christ. The last letter is directed to those living just before the coming of Christ. I want to go to that last letter with you today once again. Five times we've read that letter. It's a short letter. I wish people who wrote their emails would write it, keep it this short. It's a short letter. Come on, take a look at it. Revelation chapter 3, the last letter. Come on, you got your Bible here? You got a phone here? It's in your phone. Pull it out. Take a look at this with me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, red letters. That means Jesus speaking. He, he dictated the letter. Here it is. Revelation three fourteen. and to the angel in the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I was in the beginning, and I'm the Amen at the end, and I'm everything in between. Listen up. I'm writing to you. Okay, I'm listening. Verse 15, I know your deeds, Dwight, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Thanks a lot. And so I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so that you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into her. I will come into him. I will come into them and I will eat with them and they with me. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The end. That's quite a letter. And by the way, did you catch verse 19? Let me put verse 19 on the screen. Look at 19 again, please. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Does that, does that feel like a little bit of cognitive dissonance going on? I mean, you're talking about love and discipline at the same time? Did you ever get spanked? You probably never got spanked in your life. Come on, I'm looking at you and I can tell you've never been spanked. I got whooped all the time. You know, my folks would say before the, before the whipping, Now, Dwight, we want you to know, boy, that we love you. This doesn't feel like love at all. (laughs) And by the way, did your folks ever say this? (laughs) Did your folks ever say, and by the way, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? (laughs) Did your folks say that? (laughs) Oh, you heard it from your folks too, huh? 
Man, you can be young and hear that stuff. Must be in some parenting book somewhere. You love that, that you, that this hurts you more than me. Ah, let's trade places then so you won't be hurt as much. <laughs> Verse 19 again, come on. Cognitive dissonance. Those whom I love, Jesus speaking, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, the problem is we're reading this in the English because if we could read it in the Greek, it goes like this. Those whom I feel an, an affection for, those whom I feel close to, those whom I love, phileos, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. This is, this, this is the only ch- church in the seven that gets this warmth expressed to it. I have the warmth of friendship for you. I love you. This is the only church, the one at the end. And by the way, did you notice this? He's not declaring his love before the discipline, as your parent did. He's affirming his love after the discipline, and that's the only time when your mind is open to comprehend love. Pretty smart move. What kind of discipline are you talking about? Well, what did he just call you? Yeah. Miserable. Naked. What was this? Wretched, poor, blind. <clears throat> now, the last letter is not about name-calling, folks. <clears throat> By the way, you remember, we've already found this out. Those five, those, those five epithets, Jesus embraced them all at the cross. He became all five. No, this isn't about name-calling. This is about life-changing. This is about soul-saving. And by the way, I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. I'm the only friend you have that loves you this deeply. Do you understand that? I am your very best friend, and I'm the only one who can save you. And I'm standing at your door, and I'm knocking right now, girl. I'm knocking right now, boy. Well, that's what he's saying here. Verse 20, read it again. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's it's an amazing, amazing line. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And wouldn't you know it, that one line can be understood in three very different ways and all three very different ways are correct. There are three invitations and you got to get this. Grab, there's a, there's a study guide tucked away in your uh, worship bulletin. Will you pull that study guide out right now, please? I want you to jot these three invitations down. Yeah. We got, we got uh, ushers who will come your way. You didn't get a study guide? Hope, put your hand up in the balcony here in, in, in the, um, the band as well. well. We'll get a study guide to you. Uh, you know, we're putting it on the uh, screen here. Uh, this is the, the series, The Last Letter, Home Alone 19. You know, the, the, this Home Alone franchise, these are the Christmas children uh, videos that come out. I went, on, I, w- I went on, the whole world knows Home Alone, by the way. So I go on, on uh, Google to find out how many have you had. I get up to five, Home Alone five. I went ahead just to be safe, put 19 there so that we, we're not stepping on anybody's toes. Home Alone. Okay, so you click on a Home Alone and you'll get this study guide, all right? Oh, by the way, you got to go to New Perception. That's a very tiny, isn't it? www.newperceptions.tv. Go there if you can read that and you'll have this very same study guide. Okay, let's go. Invitation number one. Jot it down, please. Invitation number one, Jesus' gospel invitation. Yeah, this is a gospel invitation. This is the invitation, by the way, that was captured for an entire generation by the composer Ralph Carmichael. You ever heard this song? The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. 
What is your answer to him? Let's do the chorus together on the screen. Time after time he has waited before and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. There's the word door, door, door. Oh, how he wants to come in. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. It's Jesus' gospel invitation. By the way, it's not just here in Revelation. It's all the way through the Bible. Grab your pen now. Jot this down. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. God speaking. My child, give me your what? Give me your heart. I'm standing at the door. Give me your heart. We'll go to the New Testament. Jesus, on the eve of his execution, John 14, verse 23. Jot this down. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our... What's the word there? We'll make our home. We'll make our home with you. So it's not just Jesus who comes. Jesus says, the Father will come with me. And a little bit earlier in the same upper room in verse 17 of chapter 14, Jesus has already spoken these words. Jot this down. And the spirit of truth dwells with you and will be in you. The gospel invitation is is the whole trinity saying, hey, we're knocking together. Can we come into your life? Oh, what, an, what a profound invitation. It's no wonder Ellen White exclaims, I love this one-liner. How come I've never seen this before? On the screen, that heart is the happiest that has Christ as an abiding guest. You see, he's not a member of the family. He's a guest. You invite him in. He only comes by invitation. Let us, she goes on, acknowledge him as our friend and savior, end quote. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Three invitations. Invitation number one, Jesus' gospel invitation. Jot it down. Invitation number two, Jesus' end time invitation. Because as it turns out, Jesus has already used this metaphor about the door when he was here with us. In fact, put it on the screen, Mark chapter 13, verses 26 and 29. He's giving, he's giving a recital of what it's going to be like on the planet before he returns. And the words on the screen, then they, that's the world, will see the Son of Man, that would be me, he says, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the, what's the word? He's at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock means I'm almost here. I'm almost here. Anybody waiting for me? Revelation is replete with this this idea of imminence, you know, this almost, this soon business. On the screen, jot this down. Look, quoting Jesus. Look, I am coming. What's the word? Soon. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Behold, I stand at the door and knock means I'm almost here. Do you understand that? I am almost here for you. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Come on, Dwight. Give me a break. Don't you think I can figure this out? That was 1,900 years ago. So your point is? What's your point? Go ahead and make it. You have a problem with this imminence business? The New Testament is replete with it. You know why? I'll tell you why. I have a friend who has a, had a friend. 37 years old, fit as a fiddle. One young wife and two young children. And in one instance, a few weeks ago, gone. Nothing wrong with him. Gone. 
That's why the Bible never backs off in imminence. It never backs off soon. Because it might not be, I'm at the door for all of you, but sir, I am at the door for you. I'm coming for you. Knock, knock. Over. Yeah, it's somber. That's why it's there. To shake us up, to wake us up and say, I can't play this waiting game. What are you waiting for? And by the way, it can happen, it's going to happen the same way for the entire civilization. That's it. Are you serious? That's it. Look at this. Paul, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. For you know, jot this down, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Look it. Have you ever heard of a thief who sends you a postcard and says, I'm going to be in your neighborhood next week. Hope to see you then. What? There's no thief in the world that does that. Why does he do that? Because it's the element of surprise. If you know that the thief is coming tonight to your dorm room or to your, to your house, you're going to be sitting there with a 40-gauge shotgun, right? I got a surprise for you. No, you never know. That's the whole metaphor of a thief. That's what it'll be with the human race. The day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace, high five, man, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. Write that word down. Suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not, and in the Greek it's a double negative, they will no not escape. Impossible. Finish. That was it. That was it. I thought there was more supposed to happen. Nope, that was it. It's over. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Therefore, must not only mean I am returning to you soon. It means I am returning to this civilization soon. Look, at this. we're not dealing with rocket science now. I talk with bright people when I fly. I get to sit by bright people. I talk with bright people on this campus where I live. Guess what? There's this numinous uneasiness among thinking human beings today that, that senses there's, there's, some, there's some approaching dread that we do not know of. There's some shoe that's going to fall next, and we have no clue what the shoe is. We just know it's coming. That's what the Bible is saying. Hey, Earth. Hey, America. Hey, Andrews. Hey, Laodicea, guess what? I'm almost there. Three invitations. Invitation number one, Jesus' gospel invitation. Invitation number two, Jesus' end time or end game invitation. That little American lady writer that we quoted a moment ago, let me put her on the screen again. At this time... The Laodicean message is to be given to arouse a slumbering church. Let the thought of the shortness of time stimulate you to earnest, untiring effort. Remember, there's an enemy in this this game. The, The enemy, Satan, has come down with great power to work with all deceivableness, all craftiness, all trickery. Why? Because he knows he's lost, but he's taken every, every soul with him that he can. Behold, I stand at the, in the door, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, oh, by the way, yeah, it's not, just, it's not just this. There's a voice going along with this. I don't know if it's a plea, I don't know if he's begging, I don't know if he's shouting. Anybody in there, anybody in there, would you open the door? The voice accompanies the knocking. 
Three invitations. Here's invitation number three, the last one. Invitation number three, Jesus' embarrassing invitation. Jot that down, please. Jesus' embarrassing invitation. And it took a retired German businessman turned minister who, a turned pastor who taught me this. And it is embarrassing, but it's true. And I keep saying, why have I never seen this before? But I'm passing it on to you. Check it out. It's embarrassing because what's going on in that Laodicean church of Christ in the seventh and final period before he returns is that it's conducting its business as if the Lord is not in their midst. Or could it be the other way around? As if the Lord is in their midst. But surprise, 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 he's not in their midst. He's outside. Would you jot that down? It appears that Jesus is not even in the church. He's standing on the outside. I mean, here's this church. Can you believe it? This church going through their great debates. This church going through their grand feats. Here is Laodicea through its glorious, we have need of nothing motions and counter motions. And all the while, the Lord of Laodicea is outside the church. Go figure. Yeah, he's knocking. And he wants to come in. Mm hmm. I may be missing the joke. Maybe I'm not supposed to be missing this. Weird, isn't it? Weird when you get down to a bottom line like this and suddenly, as if there really were an enemy who quietly begins to tiptoe in and says, okay, let's do the distraction thing. I'm not surprised. I was waiting for something. You can't get this, this bold from the Lord Jesus and not expect something. Ah. And by the way, what's, what's, what's interesting about this Laodicean church, they're the ones that the apocalypse calls the remnant. The remnant. This is the final generation. And what are they thinking? And I ask myself, Dwight, what are you thinking? What are we thinking? Uh, apparently, we can't hear him. Maybe that's it. We just can't hear him. I can't imagine you and I, in our great deliberations and our mighty discussions, I can't imagine that if we were hearing, if we could hear the knocking, we wouldn't all join together and run to the front door of the Pioneer Memorial Church and throw the door open. Jesus, come on in. I can't imagine one person intentionally turning away and saying, no, nah, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I can't hear it. I can't hear it. No. We, apparently, it's so noisy in the Laodicean church before the end, there's so much distraction that nobody hears the knocking. So the knocking now has to be accompanied with a voice. Wow. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? How long have we been home alone as a church? How long have we been home alone? Hmm. How embarrassing. 
Or as, as this writer puts it, what a loss. Put this on the screen, please. The Holy Spirit waits to soften and subdue hearts, but they are not willing to open the door and let the Savior in for fear that he will require something of them. And so Jesus of Nazareth passes by. He longs to bestow on them the rich blessings of his grace, but they refuse to accept them. What a terrible thing it is to exclude Christ from his own temple, his own church. What a loss. Write that down. What a loss for the church. So here's the question. What are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do now? As humbling as it's going to feel, and trust me, It will feel that way. We need to cry what the people cried out when they were listening to Peter on the day of Pentecost. You remember the story, don't you? Pentecost, I mean, it went like wildfire, electricity through the city. There are a bunch of fishermen who are speaking the languages of the empire and and all the representative strangers are hearing it in their own mother tongue. What's going on? And Peter stands up and said, yo, stop, shh, quiet, time out. Hey, listen, guys, these men are not drunk. This is the outpouring of the mighty Spirit of God. And Peter pivots on that point and he begins to unfold the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. When he's through, the crowd is so moved. Do you know what they cry out? What are we supposed to do? And Peter answers, and I want you to see his answer. Put it on the screen, Acts 2, 38. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what we just read? That's the identical word to the letter, in the letter to the Laodiceans. Didn't, they, didn't Jesus just use this word, repent, in verse 19? Yeah, repent, he says in verse 19. Be baptized. That means hit the reset button. Start over again and open the door. Because if you open the door, you receive, Peter says, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I will come into you. Yeah, but Dwight, that's Jesus coming in, not the Holy Spirit coming in. Wrong. Look at the last line of this letter. What is this? Verse 22. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the what? The what? what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the Spirit who's been talking this whole time. Jesus said, I'm knocking. But when I come in, boom, you have what the Spirit has promised. And what is the Spirit saying to the Seventh-day Adventist Church today? I know you think you don't have need of anything, Laodicea. I know you think you can pull off the healing of this church, but there aren't enough parliamentary rules and procedures to vote yourselves into healing the fracture and reviving the church. You just can't take action. You can't vote me in. You can't vote me out. I stand at the door and knock if you repent. Admit to me and to each other that I'm the only hope, the only solution left for your church. Ask me to come into your midst. Call upon me. Cry out for me. I will come in. And I will deliver the church. I will heal the church. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And you'll be healed. That's a hard word for Laodicea to swallow. Because we're so used to quid pro quo. I mean, you go through these steps, you're going to get this result. We've been going through all kinds of revised and re- steps and procedures, and we're still not getting the result. What's up with that? 
because we can't program him into our midst. We have to actually invite him. And he says, when I come in, would you repent? Would you turn your back on what you've tried? Would you come to me just as you are? I'm going to have to put my arm around you. You put your arm around me. That's what repent means. We reject what we've tried. We now turn to the only supernatural solution left to us. And, oh, God, that would be you. That would be you. Come into our midst. We've done it all, and we're still hurting and fractured, and we're getting absolutely nowhere. That's what's going on. And that's why it's so embarrassing, because he's in the church, not. He's out there. Let me in. Open that door. Repent. Hit the reset button. I'll give you, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. The one gift, by the way, that brings every other gift with it. Can you imagine that? I mean, just try to picture what God is offering us here. He says, look, I'll I'll start with one person at a time. That one person, he, she will ask me for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I will come in every day because the Holy Spirit is speaking. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both there. I will come into her today. I will come into him today with just one person. That's all I need is one person. Because in the divine mathematics of God, it takes only one until suddenly two. Ooh. Two are there. Two people prayed for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then before you know it, boom, four. Let's put, the, let's put the Holy Spirit's geometric progression on the screen. Read these numbers for me. This is how fast it can happen. Watch this. Let's start out with, let's read one. Okay, one. You're the one. So he starts with you. One. Okay, read it out loud with me. Two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1,024, 2,048, 4,096, and up. Mathematicians call it geometric progression. It just takes the one to start. And somewhere on the planet, oh, I wish it would be here, but it may not be. It may be, it may be far across the seas, in Africa, in Asia, somewhere, poof, there is an explosion. Somewhere 500 miles away, poof, there's another explosion. And suddenly from east to west, north to south, the earth is literally being set ablaze. Revelation 18.1, just before the return of Jesus, a mighty angel comes down and sets the entire planet on fire with the glory of God. And it started with just one. One teenager. One teenager who says, I'm not quitting. I'll keep praying that prayer every day. Just one. That's all it takes. Geometric progression. Just one. And then this thing that we've called the latter rain. What is a latter rain? It's just a whole lot of people in the same space experiencing the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. It's not like the roof's off the church. Just one. And I do believe you are that one. I believe it. I believe it. Wow. All because the leaders and the people of the church cried out to God to do what is more than clear we are not able to do ourselves. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon a, how does she put it, a languishing church. It must But it can only begin by obeying the Lord of Laodicea's command. His plea, I want you to repent. 
It's never comfortable to repent because I have to repent to you and you hear me and it's very humbling. But that's the only way. You talk to me. But the only way we can break the logjam is you repenting to your husband. You repenting to your wife. Repentance starts with one. For unless there is repentance, there will be no healing, there will be no revival, there will be no Holy Spirit until a new generation of leaders and members is raised up. And I may, the, I may be the first pastor. He's out. We're going to have to move. Get him out. The point is, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, There'll be a band of men. There'll be a band of women. There'll be a band of young adults at Andrews University and in the Seventh-day Adventist Church who will cry out every day. Let's put that prayer on the screen, please. Who will cry out every day, Oh, Jesus, please come in and pour out your Spirit upon us now. Is that a hard prayer to pray? Doesn't look too hard. Let's try reading it out loud together. Oh, Jesus, please come in. And pour your spirit upon us now. Oh, Jesus, please. Please come in and pour out your spirit upon us now. You know what I want to do? I want to kneel down right here. I want to pray with you. Come on, let's kneel down. Let's pray. It's one thing to put it on the screen. It's another thing to pray the words, you and I together. Oh, God. Oh, Lord of Laodicea, three invitations. The gospel invitation, we get it. The, the end game invitation, we understand that. The embarrassing one, oh, Jesus, it is embarrassing. Have you been out? Have we left you out there? Have we been home alone all these years? It cannot be. It just cannot be. So, We are in a position of abject humility before you. Our heads are down. We're on our knees. And we're asking you, please, do whatever it takes to awaken the repentance that needs to be in my heart. Oh, God, forgive me for the times too many when I have stepped in between you and others and I have eclipsed eclipsed your glory. I've blocked the light from shining trying to insert myself into the moment forgive me I have sinned forgive us this church we all love we've opted to stay in but we need you to do whatever it takes to lead us into a deep repentance that turns us from ourselves to our Savior Oh, Jesus, come in. We didn't... We didn't know that was you knocking. We thought it was just some interference. We've blocked your knocking and your voice out. Jesus, we hear you now. Please come in for all of us and save Laodicea. You're not going to lose the church. Save the people of Laodicea. I humbly pray.
do whatever it takes. But may we never be the same again for having read your letter to us. In your mighty name, let all the people say, Amen and Amen. Amen.